As soon as I found out what meat was when I was very little, like where it came from, that it came from animals, right away I was not happy. It escalated really quickly for me from like, I'm not going to eat these things, I'm not going to buy these things, to like, no, this is an urgent issue that people need to know about. And I couldn't rest. There was something in me that couldn't be at peace knowing how much suffering was going on constantly. I realized that as much as there can be discomfort involved in activism, that was actually the only thing that quieted the sense of devastation that I was feeling. Doing something was the only thing that gave me any peace. What the hell is up, you guys? Today, I have a very special guest, my dear friend, Ashley Byrne. She is the outreach director at PETA, and she is going to myth bust all of the things that people have to say about PETA. PETA was founded in 1980, and since then, they've done such incredible work. And as usual, organizations that tend to have big impact Carnus will come for them. Are you ready, Ashley? I can't wait. I'm so glad that we're doing this. <laughs> okay. So, Ashley, why don't we just introduce yourself and we'll talk a little bit about how we met. Yes, I'm Ashley Byrne. Um, I'm PETA's Director of Outreach Communications, which um, encompasses so many things. <laughs> I think my title is purposely a little vague because it, they're, they're just... I've been there 16 years, and so <laughs> you kind wow. of pick up a lot of things that you do in that time. Basically, I work um, on PETA's campaigns. Um, I I do demonstrations. I work with the media. I work on our celebrity campaigns. B basically, the great thing about PETA is that I feel like we're all kind of just hands on. <laughs> and it's just whatever your job title is, something might come along and that'll just go out the window. So the great thing about that is I feel like I'm really equipped to answer questions about all of these different PETA, you know, myths and urban legends because you know, you get a really good feel for the organization when you're just yeah. involved. Well, I'm going to give you a yeah. hard time because I really want to get into it. And I, I feel like it. every single time I just even post animal rights content, people are like, are you with PETA? Are you with people <laughs> for eating tasty animals? Or yeah. It's like ridiculous. There's even a website called PETAkills.org. Yes, there is. And surprise, surprise, it's funded by the meat industry. And, you know, and breeders and the tobacco industry, which of course tests on animals and all these other industries that are doing terrible things to animals and making money off of it. Of course. And they have no way to justify their actions. Mm -hmm. So instead, they attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And all of the, the things that they have to say about PETA, it, they don't even make sense. Like, one of the things was, oh, PETA gives money to criminals. And the criminals that they're talking about are people that are going and rescuing animals. Right. And first of all, this is the United States, and everyone has the right to a fair trial and to legal defense. I mean, everybody. And certainly these people who have put themselves on the line to rescue animals, they they have the right to, you know, to a, a fair trial with solid criminal defense. And so we recognize that throughout history, people have chosen to break the law when it comes to fighting egregious violations of civil rights. And that's, that's what is happening. Anim animals 
animal rights is a civil rights issue. So while the work that we do is legal, we have supported the defense funds of people who are who are are innocent until proven guilty. And I think we've seen that, you know, in in a lot of these cases recently, these activists have been, you know, who have been accused of crimes for rescuing animals are being found not guilty because mm-hmm. people ethically um, realize that they're doing the right thing, no matter what the law says. But yeah. So. And just because something is legal doesn't necessarily make it moral. No. So the, the fact that these industries keep pigs in gestation crates that are that don't even allow them to stand up or turn around right. is legal, but that doesn't make it right. Right. So we have to recognize when an industry is doing everything in their power to keep things hidden, maybe we need to investigate and do something about it and and actually take a stand and go against the law. There's a reason why these industries are trying to make it illegal to expose their behavior. I mean, if they had nothing to hide, they wouldn't be trying to get ag gag laws passed that make it illegal to film and photograph and document and expose what they're doing. If they had nothing to hide, if they thought that that their customers would actually be okay with what's happening behind the scenes, they'd say, whatever, okay, you're exposing video of what we're doing, fine, go ahead. You know, you, you notice that like no one who works in like a tofu factory is freaking out about somebody maybe taping what they're doing behind the scenes. But, you know, a slaughterhouse, <laughs> a, a vivisection laboratory, yeah, they have a lot to hide. And industry is very threatened by PETA because PETA is an organization that's getting massive media attention, that's doing demos that kind of get people into defense mode, but also get them thinking. They're very creative, whether it's dressing up in a hot dog costume at Nathan's hot dog eating event. I mean, there was like a woman that was like in a bodysuit, like a naked hot dog. And it got a ton of media. And it's one of those things that if we don't go out and do these outlandish protests and demos, then how do we get the attention that we want? And PETA is a mastermind at this and has been over the years. So I want to kind of get into how you started working at PETA some of the media and impact that you've had. And before we get right into that, Ashley and I met through doing activism and at a demo. I don't know if you remember, but it was at a Canada Goose event, which was the first time I saw you. And I had my dog with me in my backpack and I was a new activist. This was about five years ago. And I remember you were doing some type of event with PETA where you had a person's body painted or spray painted and he was like a little coyote oh my god i do remember yeah yes is that the first time we met the big man he was naked yes and and he was how could you forget that he was like in a (laughs) in a trap with fake blood yes on a big canada goose logo on the ground yeah that's the first time we met and i was quiet and i that was just the first time i was like oh okay that's ashley from PETA. and then of course i saw you at various other events and then I stayed at your house and watched your dog. Right. And, <laughs> so, and now we know each other very well. We've, yeah, we've been chased out of, <laughs> out of stores together. We've been, we're banned from Whole Foods, Canada Goose, Macy's, uh, Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Okay. We're on the anti- I'm, I'm banned from Madison Square Garden. I don't go. know if you are yet. But <laughs> probably. We're both on yeah, watch probably. lists at this point. So, okay. So, yeah. So, that's kind of yeah. how we know each other. And so, why don't you talk a little bit about First of all, how you went vegan. What was that story? Yeah, well, going way back, like I have 
always loved animals. And sometimes I meet vegans who are like, you know, I'm not really an animal person. And my God, like respect to them if they can just so purely see that what we do to animals is wrong without like relating to them. Not me. I've been a complete animal freak obsessed with every animal my entire life. And I grew up with animals. I grew up with, you know, a big pack, like a literal pack of big dogs, you know, with cats, with like so many animals. And I, you know, yeah. As soon as I found out what meat was when I was very little, like where it came from, that it came from animals, right away, I was not happy. And I remember my parents explaining, well, you know, some people don't eat meat. And if you want to choose that someday, you can't. You know, they were like, they were pretty reasonable about it, considering some of the reactions that I've heard people's, you know, that, that people's families have had. They just said like, okay, you know, think about it and someday you'll make that choice. And so like throughout, I mean, what, you know, when I was in junior high, like early high school, I remember like there, sometimes I would say like, you know what, I'm going to be a vegetarian. I'm not going to eat meat anymore. I would literally forget. <laughs> I would say that. I would do it for a day. I'd, you know, go to the mall with my friends, go to McDonald's. It would just go right out of my head. What finally really made it stick in my head was that I saw a documentary that had footage of people butchering and eating dogs. And actually, before you saw that, there was footage of slaughterhouses, you know, cows being killed, um, I think pigs. And that was horrifying. That disturbed me so much. That really upset me. And then it got to the dogs. And I don't have words for how upset I was. I mean, my family dogs have been around before I, since before I was born. I had been so bonded with dogs my entire life. So that was literally like watching somebody kill and eat a member of my family or someone who could have been a member of my family. And I was so unsettled and disturbed and upset and furious. Like just, I had never been as angry as I was at the person in this video doing this. And then the narrator basically went on to say like, well, this might be very shocking, you know, to people from, you know, from the United States. But the fact is that in the country where this is happening, this is no different culturally than, you know, killing a pig or a chicken or a cow. And the fact is there's actually no scientific difference between eating any of these animals. Mm -hmm. And that really floored me. Right then I said, I'm never eating meat again. And it actually stuck. That that was it. Like I because I was like, I I can't accept that what I just saw is okay. Right. Like there will never be anything that makes that okay. And you know, it was the I mean these dogs were screaming. They were, you know, being like butchered alive. It was terrible. So I was like, well that will never be okay. So if I need to accept that none of it's okay, then fine. It's like, where is that line drawn between yeah. this animal and then this animal over here? They're all the same in any way that actually matters from the their, their size, their shape, their brains. I mean, they're the same in the way that they both feel pain. They both suffer. They both think. They both have dreams. There really is no difference between a dog and a pig and a cow and a turkey and a fish that in any way that matters. And I don't know how I had kind of managed to convince myself for so long that there was some difference that would make any of these other animals suffer less. But somehow that was in my head. We all did because this yeah. is what we were raised to believe. Like even right. what you were saying when you were going out in middle school or high school with your friends and you kind of had it in the back of your head that you didn't want to eat meat, but then you'd go to McDonald's and things were just thrown out the window. And it's normal because we live in a society where these products are so normalized. Right. It's like, how could something so widespread be so normal? 
Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, and it's not like you're, I mean, you're just seeing like a nugget. Right. You know, like I wasn't seeing something that really looked disturbing or that looked like the animal or, you know, right. so um, there's just that detachment. Yeah. Just us removing ourselves from what what we're really eating. Um, but so then my mom had actually my mom has has never eaten that much meat. And now she's, I'd say, probably 80, 90 percent like vegan. But plant-based ish yeah, yeah my dad too. yeah like um and and she had just never been really liked eating that much meat and she um she had been telling me forever that i should read this book called diet for new america by john robbins so when i like came home and i was like i'm never eating meat again in this time i mean it she was like okay well why don't you finally read this book and as i was reading that i mean that just solidified everything because that went into not only, you know, the hideous things that we do to animals for food, but the fact that animal agriculture is killing the planet and the fact that it's killing us physically, like, you know, how absolutely terrible eating animals is for our health. But the other thing that it went into, it didn't stop at the meat industry. It talked about dairy and it talked about eggs. And I literally have this very clear memory. I mean, I hadn't been vegetarian that long and I was on spring break. I was on a plane, like, and I remember getting to the part about dairy and just being like, oh, God, I have to go vegan? Like, I don't want to go vegan. I was so bummed. <laughs> I was so unhappy. I have to be one of those extremists? My God. Yeah, because yeah. up to that point, I was like, well, I mean, I don't – why? Why would anybody – like, okay, I get it. Don't don't kill any animals, but, like, why can't I eat yeah. cheese? Um, and being vegetarian seemed fairly easy, but being vegan – this was the 90s. Oh, um, huh. Things were very, very different than they are now. So when I realized that actually, you know, if if I didn't want to hurt animals, I needed to go vegan, I, I could not have been more unhappy about it. But And so, you know, over the course of about a year, like I kind of, you know, went more and more in that direction and then and then eventually became completely vegan. And it's one thing to go vegan, eat plant-based, but it's another thing to become an activist and get active and use yeah. your voice and then also turn it into a career. Yeah. So what was that transition like for you? Well, I mean, the thing is, as soon as I – really just as soon as I began researching – what went on behind the scenes in animal agriculture. And of course, that just led, it's like you open one door and then there's another and another and another. And so, you know, I mean, eventually I saw lots of PETA literature about things like animal testing. I mean, I had obviously been familiar with PETA for many years before that because PETA, among other things, is kind of a pop culture icon. And so I, you know, I knew about PETA's I'd rather go naked than wear fur campaigns. I thought those were really cool. Like, but so I started to learn about all of the, you know, just that basically there were these, that these industries tortured billions of animals, you know, collectively every year, that animals were suffering on this massive scale and that it was happening largely just out of everybody's sight and mind. And so it it escalated really quickly for me from like, I'm not going to eat these things, I'm not going to buy these things to like, no, this is an urgent issue that people need to know about. And right away, basically, like as soon as I started to learn about this stuff, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't rest. There was something in me that couldn't be at peace knowing how much suffering was going on 
constantly that was totally unnecessary, that was totally unjustified. Like I, I literally just couldn't shake knowing about it. And um, and as activists, we have to put aside our own discomfort to yeah. speak up for the animals. I mean, I don't enjoy, you know, going around holding signs, yelling at people, doing demos. But ultimately, if it's going to create impact for the animals, I got to put aside that discomfort. Totally. And the thing is, I realized that as much as there can be discomfort involved in activism, that was actually the only thing that quieted the like just the sense of devastation that I was feeling of knowing all like doing something was the only was the only thing that gave me any peace. Mm. I was like, I have to be an activist because because I can't be at peace knowing this is happening. And basically that kind of turned into you know, this is just so vital. Like, I, this is what I want to be doing all the time. And PETA is actually getting those winnable battles. And we'll talk a little bit about over the years just how much impact PETA's had through legislation, through rescues, through shutting down lab laboratories. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things that, you know, while, yes, you speak up because you feel like you're doing something, you're not only just doing something to do something, you're actually seeing that tangible win for right. the animals. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that I love about PETA is that these things are happening on – a macro level and an individual level. PETA, PETA does work to change the system, to change, you know, to change things, to change how the world works, how we treat animals, how we think about animals. But then PETA also does, you know, work for individual animals, rescues individual animals, gets an individual bear out of a pit, gets, you know, an individual dog off a chain in a backyard. So, I mean, that yeah, that's kind of amazing to me, too, when you talk about, like, seeing results. You see results on a macro level, but then you see results on this individual level of, like, this specific – because ultimately, at the end of the day, this matters because animals are individuals. Mm -hmm. And so – yeah, I mean, that really, I think that's the only way to have any peace about this. Yeah. And I think the general public, whatever their mindset is about PETA, they will sometimes say negative things just to quiet their own discomfort. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, I, yeah. you know, whether it's you see some of the campaigns or demos that we do where there's two people in bed naked and it says, vegans make better lovers or <laughs> things like, you know, things that just get people's attention, people will just shoot the messenger just so that they're able to discard the message. Absolutely. And with, t with any social justice movement, a lot of the activists weren't necessarily liked during their, their time. Yeah. And at PETA, I mean, I'm just a grassroots activist. You know, I work with PETA. I work with Mercy for Animals. I do all different groups and all different types of protests. But at our core, we're just all activists trying to just speak up for the animals and we all have our own lives. Like we're not as crazy as people might say we are. We just love animals. Well, and the thing is, I would say the average person cares about animals. Like I think, you know, also Ingrid says kindness is not radical, which I think is, is a perfect way of putting it. Like most people, their natural instinct, if they see an animal suffering, they they want to help. They they don't want that to happen. Exactly. Obviously, something gets lost along the way, and they're you know a lot of they're paying for a lot of animal suffering. They're contributing to a lot of animal suffering. But I think that the natural instinct that people have, it, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, not everyone. I mean, 
not someone who's going to a rodeo, whatever, but I think that like that, you know, most people um, have an instinct where they don't want to see animals suffering. And so like, as you say, I mean, you know, I think activists are just people who are kind of actually taking that, putting that into practice a little further. Mm -hmm. But but it's not a radical concept that like, you know, we shouldn't cause harm when we don't need to, that we should prevent and stop suffering when we can. I mean, it's so basic when it comes down to it. And PETA has a total animal liberation standpoint. PETA doesn't want longer chains. Right. PETA doesn't want bigger cages. PETA wants to see animals living freely and out of harm's way. And I think that it's really important to note that PETA's stance, it is pretty simple. It's Let's not experiment on animals. Let's not wear animals. Let's not eat them or use them in any way, shape, or form. And to some people, that sounds radical, I guess. Um, I don't know why. I mean, you, usually it's because it maybe threatens some source of income that they have. I think ultimately that's at the or, – or it challenges them to think about whether they actually are – being a good person, you know, I think people don't really want to think of themselves as as someone who causes harm, as a bully, as you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, so when they hear it's so simple, animals are not ours, and I think most people can understand if you say, you know, another like another person does not belong to you. You know what I mean? Like most people get that. Most people are going to say, no, absolutely not. I don't have the right to own or exploit another another person well you know animals i mean we talk a lot about the personhood of animals mm-hmm. animals are individuals you they weren't made for you you know women weren't made for men animals weren't made for people like it's it's very simple they have their own their own needs their own desires their own lives that they should be able to live without mm-hmm. um without us using them for our purposes when we don't need to No, exactly. Exactly. So when we look at some of the pushback that PETA gets, let's get into the myth busting section (laughs) because I would love to quiet these maniacs. (laughs) So when I was doing research before this podcast, I obviously came across the website PETAKillsAnimals.com. Yeah. (laughs) And on the website, they have stated PETA killed over 2,000 cats and dogs in 2022 and more than 47,000 animals since 1998. And they say that PETA doesn't believe in pet ownership. And they also say that 97.4% of PETA's animals have been killed in one year. How would you respond to that? Well, again, first of all, I would remind everyone that the front group that is behind this website is funded by animal abusing industries, including breeders, (laughs) including people who make money from breeding and selling dogs and other animals. And it's funny because if you want to look at who's actually responsible for animals being euthanized in shelters, it's breeders. It's people who breed and sell them. But, you know, what do you do if you can't justify your behavior? You as you said before, you attack the messenger. So to give a little background on the field work that PETA does with animals, we have a headquarters in Norfolk, Virginia. And 
There are areas in Virginia and in North Carolina surrounding that headquarters that are extremely impoverished and where the attitude towards animal guardianship is something that is very, it's pretty devastating. Like you see tons of dogs living out on chains in backyards who never come inside. No one ever goes out and plays with them. Half the time people don't remember to feed them or give them water. Uh, They're outside in the coldest winter in, you know, in just freezing rain. They're outside in the worst heat of Mm -hmm. summer. The laws don't protect them from from this, unfortunately, most of the time. And I mean, people, you know, see them as an alarm system or, you know, use them for breeding or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so PETA has field workers who, in the absence of, you know, the ability to actually like, like, get these animals off the chains or, you know, get them out of these yards, they, they go into these communities, they talk to the people about how they can make these animals lives better. I mean, they try to talk to people about bringing them indoors, mm-hmm. about, you know, socializing them, about giving them proper vet care, about, you know, all these other things. And they'll provide whatever services they can. They will, you know, provide metal water bowls so the bowls aren't just overgrown with algae. They'll give these dogs toys, maybe the first toys they've ever had. They'll bring dog houses the people won't bring the dogs indoors and straw in the winter to keep them warm and just, you know, provide these basic mm-hmm. services. And so one of the things that happens as they're doing the, this work is that sometimes they do come across dogs who are so sick, who are so injured, who are in the worst shape, who um, are so unsocialized because literally people will just throw food in the backyard and won't come near them. So they have no human contact. I mean, they'll come across animals who are in the worst situations. And sometimes people do end up, you know, they don't, they're choosing to surrender those animals. And also a lot of the time PETA does, um, we provide free spay neuter services for pit bulls. We do like low cost and subsidized spay neuter for, you know, for all animals. We, um, we have a mobile spay neuter clinic. So, so basically it's like they, they've, they've done a lot of work to develop a relationship with these communities where people know that, that they can come to PETA, they can bring animals to PETA. So, What has happened is PETA has an open admissions shelter Mm -hmm. where people, fortunately, will who can't afford to get euthanasia services for their animals when they're elderly, when they're Mm -hmm. sick, when they are injured, when they're on death's door, they've realized that they actually can bring them to PETA instead of having them languish and suffer, you know, for days or weeks or months until they die. Mm -hmm. And so PETA's proud to be able to provide those services to these Mm -hmm. impoverished communities who are asking for them. And the fact is that a lot of these animals are being turned away from other shelters because shelters are desperate to keep their euthanasia numbers down right now because they're afraid of being labeled kill shelters as opposed to no kill shelters when the fact is, I mean, the killers are the breeders. The killers are the the pet stores. The killers are the people who are selling and breeding animals. But the fact is the shelters, you know, end up end up dealing with the disaster created by breeders, by pet stores. So basically, that brings us back to PETA. PETA has a total open admissions policy. We will accept any animal 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week. It doesn't matter if they're adoptable. It doesn't matter if they're aggressive. It doesn't matter if they are sick, if they are old. We will provide euthanasia services. If, if, if a person's asking for them, we will take in any animal that a person wants to surrender. We won't charge them a fee. They don't have to mm-hmm. make an appointment. We are there all the time. If that animal is adoptable, we will either you know, place them in a good home or, or we will bring them to a shelter, the high traffic shelter that we have a relationship with so they can be adopted. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't end up going into our numbers. What you see, what people see in our numbers are the animals who, where PETA was the shelter of last resort, where, you know, they were brought there because, because they, they were at that, at a point where they right. needed to be euthanized. So the people that are saying this about PETA conveniently leave out the situation at hand. Exactly. Which is the fact that PETA is taking in anybody and everyone. And there are situations where animals do have to be euthanized. That's just how it is. And if if there's an animal that's sick or elderly with extreme behavioral issues, there are situations where they have to be put down. Right. And PETA is made up of individuals that love animals. They're vegans, for God's sakes. So it's not like we want to kill animals or hurt animals in any way, shape, or form, but sometimes you have to assess the situation. And it's funny because the people that are against PETA and that are saying all these things about PETA eat animals. Oh, oh, you do not have any sort of stance on this. If you eat animals, if you're not vegan, you should not be criticizing shelters for doing what they have to do. I mean, unfortunately, shelters are running out of space. There's not enough money going into these shelters to allow them to take in more animals. And PETA is there to take in everyone. So your point, your opinion means nothing if you are not vegan, number one. Well, and these breeders, I mean, again, they are killing animals. With every litter they breed, they are killing animals in shelters. And But of course, instead of, you know, facing up to that, being responsible, they basically just want to smear PETA because they want people to feel good about buying animals as though they're, you know, just like entertainment centers, you know, yeah. so they're, it's like a, like a, like a purse or, you know, it, 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 people, they want people to think of animals as objects. So people will keep buying animals on a whim. How many of those animals, you know, end up in shelters once people realize that, you know, that, they have medical bills, that right. they actually require a lot of attention, that, you know, this is funded by people who have an interest in wanting um, the public to buy animals like objects right. and to not feel bad about the animals who are dying in shelters, to think, well, that's happening because, you know, because right. PETA wants it to happen, not because, you know, I'm going and buying a golden doodle. Right. Well, they're making money. Yeah, They're making money and that's exactly why they feel threatened by PETA and then they're putting out this information. And another thing that people say about PETA is that PETA supports total animal liberation and PETA does not support medical testing or using animals in the medical field whatsoever. And we know that there are certain procedures that will use pig's hearts or there's certain procedures that will use like stitches that have wool or calf uh, stomach linings. I mean, it's really sick what we've commodified animals to be and what we use them for. And unfortunately, it's like everywhere you turn, you're like, oh my God, I'm in a hospital bed. And they're like, have sheep's wool in my stitches. It's like, (laughs) what the hell? Yeah. (laughs) So what is your stance on that? Or what is PETA's stance on if something's like a medical 
situation or emergency, how would you respond? I guess, first of all, I would clarify, like, you know, if someone's in a hospital bed and and they're being given stitches that happen to have wool in them, the problem is, you know, is not the person getting those stitches. Like, the wool shouldn't be in the stitches in the first place. We have alternatives, um, and those alternatives should be used. So, you know, to clarify that, we're not saying anybody should be like, no, I'm not going to get stitches. But Nobody should be bleeding out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but those stitches shouldn't be made with wool in the first place, and they don't need right. to be. But in terms of of experimentation on animals, no, there is no excuse ever. It's absolutely wrong across the board. And it's also unreliable. It's also not, not the the best that we have at our disposal now anyway. We have so many alternatives now that actually give us better insight into how a human being will react to a treatment or a drug. I mean, the fact is that I think it's 50% of, of tests on animals don't actually end up returning accurate results for humans. So basically 50%, that's, that's like tossing a coin. Um, it's, it's useless. And all of these drugs, all of these procedures end up having to be tested on people first anyway, before they actually go into, you know, like into the marketplace. So all the animal tests are really doing is delaying things. Mm -hmm. And we saw this, for instance, I mean, you know, with the COVID vaccine, um, they decided to expedite it by, by, eliminating some of the animal tests, basically admitting that, well, we don't really need to do this. <laughs> they don't need to do it. I mean, and they don't need to put animals inside the vaccines either. Like, no. why should there be chicken embryos and shit? I just don't understand. Well, and again, when you look at so like what we do to animals so often just comes back to money. And if you look at animal experimentation, there's so much money. I mean, there are the people breeding the animals. There are the companies that make money off of selling cages and restraints and food and, you know, all these other things. And then you have the people, you know, the the scientists getting massive grants from the NIH to do the same experiments over and over, sometimes for decades, without producing any usable results a lot of the time. And just, you know, but just getting getting those grants year after year Ugh. after year. I can't stress enough, you guys, how important it is to buy cruelty-free products. If you haven't seen some of the experiments that have been done on animals that PETA has done undercover investigation footage and captured, it is some of the most disturbing, horrific things I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, monkeys that have their eyes sewn shut from birth, uh, rabbits that have their – that have – acid dropped in their eyes, mutilations, beagles are being masked up and, and forced to breathe in cigarette smoke. I mean, just like the most horrific stuff you've ever seen. And just recently, PETA liberated 6,000 beagles? Yes, the, our, our Invigo um, investigation, which was into um, a a company that was breeding beagles for animal experimentation. They were it was Ugh. a breeding facility, and they would sell beagles to labs. And for anyone who doesn't know, beagles are um, the most popular dog used in experiments because they are docile, because they're you know they're basically easy easy to hurt. Um, 
And uh, and what we exposed in this facility was sickening. I mean, this is even before they get to the lab where they're going to be tortured in experiments. But just in the breeding facility, there were sick and dying and dead puppies um, just, you know, in, in the cages together languishing. I mean, there there were animal, you know, the pup, the dogs were being sprayed with high pressure hoses. Um, I mean, just some of the the dogs who were rescued. I mean, when you see the shape that they're, I mean, they're in good shape now because they're being taken care of. But the the treatment they need. I mean, they had rotting teeth. They um, they mm. were just being neglected, abused, and this. Like you have to, you have to dig deeper below, you know, below what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Well, so you know, it's not just the lab; it's these facilities that are making so much money by breeding these animals and right. selling them to the labs, and it's all completely unnecessary right. because we have better technology. What are some alternatives? They can use like stem cell cultures, computer models that are more accurate. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you can grow organs in, you know, organs on a, on a, you know, in, in a lab now. Cultured meat. Yeah. You know, for things like uh, dissection or training, actually, there's actually a company called Synfrog uh, that they, they make syn- basically synthetic, like, frogs and other animals and even like cadavers for um for dissection in schools but then you know you can also you can use it in a medical school in a high school mm-hmm. and i actually got to see the sin frogs introduced um in a high school in florida like i got to see a science class work with them for the first time and it was incredible i mean the technology is so cool you know and there were so many advantages besides the fact that it was cruelty free like the fact that they were actually, you know, in, instead of a, an animal preserved in formaldehyde that's just this like weird gray color. I mean, the the all the different organs and body parts were actually like the colors that they were supposed to be. And, you know, they the kids weren't exposed to formaldehyde. Um, but the thing is, for for like for medical schools, for you know, for doctors, they actually can do like human versions of this too. Amazing. I mean, there there are just there are so many other alternatives, and the fact is, those are alternatives for for replacing the tests that are actually necessary. So many of these tests are unnecessary. They're either you know, I mean, like in the case of the tobacco industry, doing experiments on dogs, dogs didn't show the rates of cancer um, from from tobacco exposure that humans did. So it basically allowed them to say, well, it's inconclusive if cigarettes are causing cancer. You know, well, it's, it's great. Well, you just spent $2 billion on this. Right. And now the dogs are being put to sleep and killed. It's like, what is the point of this? Well, we- the point is to cover their ass from Ugh. something that they're, you know, where they're they're doing something wrong. But they're like, well, look, we did this experiment on dogs and it, it came back Ugh. inconclusive. So, God. or I mean, if you're looking at experiments um, funded by NIH grants, to give one example, there is a woman named Elizabeth Murray who has been doing government funded, so funded with our tax dollars, experiments on baby monkeys for years now, giving them brain damage and then basically just tormenting them and scaring them with like fake snakes and spiders and things like that. And she says that it's about studying like, like depression, mental health, you know. Who is this helping? 
Like, who is this helping? There are so many people who suffer from depression, from mental health, who would so gladly participate in any study that could actually, you know, provide some real results that would help them. But instead, we're throwing millions of dollars for this woman to torment baby monkeys and come back with nothing that that has helped anyone. And that's just one example. I mean, another example is at um, the University of Amherst um, in Massachusetts. There is a lab there that for years has been doing menopause experiments on marmoset monkeys. The thing is, marmosets don't go through menopause. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, <laughs> great that we're throwing massive amounts of money at this lab. I mean, there there are women. There are lots of women actually experiencing these things who could participate in a study. But, you know, but no, they, you know, this the, the people running these experiments are just forking in the cash. Right. And we literally devalue the lives of animals to such an extent yeah. that we breed them into existence to test on them, to harm them, to be cruel and then kill them. Right. It's like, it and for what? For nothing. Psychotic. Yeah, it is. Yes. It's not giving us any additional information that's saving lives or we need to start rethinking our way of looking at animals. They are not here for us. And even if they, these experiments were saving so many human lives, like we have alternatives that are more accurate that will ultimately not cause harm to innocent little baby animals. It's it's crazy. Exactly. So I want to get through a few more of the myth busts before we kind of start to just talk a little bit about the benefits of veganism that you've experienced and whatnot. Yeah. So the two other things that we have is PETA targets kids with violent propaganda. <laughs> PETA activists regularly target children as young as six years old with anti-meat and anti-milk propaganda, even waiting outside their schools to intercept them without notifying their parents. Uh, <laughs> so I love good. it. Yeah. Uh, PETA bragged that its messages reached over 1.2 million minor children, including 30,000 kids between the ages of 6 and 12. So what are what is this violent propaganda that they're talking about? I mean, first of all, let's just clarify that I can't think of anyone who targets children more than the dairy industry. I mean, th literally, the schools in the U.S. are legally obligated to serve cow's milk to kids, even though so many kids, especially d children of color, are lactose intolerant. Um, I mean, that literally making them sick, that's violence. But And what happens to the cows is violent, yes, too. Yeah. Why don't you just show the kids where their food is coming from right. and then tell me what's violent? Ex exactly. A hundred percent. Because most kids would want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Well, maybe they're actually saying that the propaganda or the information that right. we're showing <laughs> is truth? violent. The truth the is truth. violent. <laughs> so if it's so violent, if yeah. you actually agree with us that it's violent, why are you serving this on a silver platter to kids all across the world? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, so no, I mean, telling kids the truth about something like, for instance, the circus um, is, is, uh, you know, I mean, children would have to be dragged kicking and screaming into like a circus that used elephants, for example, if they knew what was really going on in there. But I mean, if you look at the things that PETA has done, like outside schools, for instance, it's like, you know, like an elephant costume handing out comic books saying like, you know, the circus makes me sad. 
Not exactly like violent and extreme. <laughs> kids love elephant yeah. costumes. <laughs> exactly. You see the kids like running up and hugging the elephant and, you know. So yeah, you know, PETA has campaigns that will tell children the truth about some of these industries in a kid-appropriate way. We actually have an amazing um, traveling campaign right now that will go into school. I mean, they'll go do like school assemblies and stuff with an animatronic elephant, like a life-size animatronic elephant who will go in and, you know, the kids can like, can like sit really close, which they obviously, it would be very dangerous for them to do with an actual elephant. And, you know, the elephant will talk about, you know, her life and like how she should be free and she shouldn't be in the circus. And they can actually learn valuable things as opposed to seeing, you know, animals in in an entertainment setting where they are not learning about how these animals actually would or should live in nature. They're not learning real facts about them. I mean, it's actually educational. Yeah. So, so you know, we we do. We have programs that educate kids with the truth in in a in a child appropriate way but industries don't want industries know that kids are pretty much the most sympathetic people out there and that if they learn the truth it's it's going to stick it's game know? over for you honey yeah exactly so being that PETA does so many different things from demos to educational lectures to undercover footage and investi- undercover investigations just on its own is absolutely incredible and I want to talk a little bit about that uh you guys do everything from nationwide campaigns. Right now you're doing one against Starbucks to try to get them to stop upcharging for plant-based milks. You're doing one against Whole Foods for selling coconut milk that uses monkey labor. And PETA is relentless and you guys always get what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. So they should be very afraid. Eventually, yes. Yeah. So talk a little bit about some of those pillars that I mentioned, maybe starting with the undercover investigations and some of the pushback that we get from from that. You know, undercover investigations, I I think that's really one of the the most important things that PETA does. And um, I, I undercover investigators are superheroes to me. They are real life in the flesh heroes because these are people who are so kind, um, just so incredibly empathetic and kind. And they put themselves in situations to see the most devastating things happening to animals mm-hmm. so that they can document it. I mean, things that a lot of people literally when the footage comes out are like, I can't, I can't even watch this. And these are people who actually have to witness it in person and very often for days, weeks, months on end. So it's, it's incredible. And they do it because when they're able to capture that footage and then release it to millions of people, we're able to share the truth and the message and then create change from that. Exactly. They are the reason that I'm allowed to say to someone who's trying to debate me on these issues, don't take my word for it. Just go go watch this video and see what you think. Because I don't, I think there's nothing more persuasive than that. You know, I mean, people can say like, oh, you know, whatever happens to animals, it's not that bad. They don't feel pain, whatever. Well, go watch a video of a pig screaming um, as they're being beaten on a factory farm or slaughtered Mm -hmm. and tell me if you think that they don't feel pain, that this Mm -hmm. is okay, that this is ethical. Basically, that's the mic drop. 
Yeah. You know, um, you, you can't make this shit up. Right. I mean, exactly. this is exactly what's happening. I don't, for some reason, people think something humane happens in the process. And <laughs> I'm like, well, if you had a knife dragged across your throat and you were hanging upside down on a ho- slaughterhouse floor with blood dripping from you, you probably wouldn't think that that's so fun. Right, so yeah. why? You'd be like, oh, this was humane. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that what just happened was humane. Thank you. Thank you. Now you can put that on the label when you sell yeah. my body parts in the store. Thank you. Wait, I was free range? Oh, cool. That's really good to know. I'm just, yeah. Oh, thanks. and I also ate grass, so. Yeah. yeah. Great. That's, that's, that makes it all okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, go watch the footage. So you got the undercover investigations. You got changes in legislation. Maybe talk about some of the wins that you are that you have now and also the rescues in the Ukraine. And- oh, my. Yeah. There's so much. So um, obviously, it's such a big part of what we do is about changing the way people think and, and, you know, the way people think about animals, interact with animals. But we also do focus on legislation and um, on on lobbying and and we've had some incredible strides with that um whether that has been winning legal cases for animals which there have been so many i mean like we were talking about earlier of just like individual animals like our legal team securing freedom for individual animals from roadside zoos from you know a cage in someone's basement you know um but then also you know i mean we have worked with incredible legislators who so many legislators, you know, when they actually find out what the government is funding through the NIH, for instance, with animal testing, they are horrified and they have joined us in our efforts to to stop this. And I, I think Invigo is a great example because legislators in Virginia um, were so helpful and on board with with that and were, were an instrumental part of, you know, what we did after that in terms of, you know, following up to get the place shut down. So, I mean, right now, if you look at some of the legislation that we're working on, um, horse racing is a big focus. And actually here in New York State, horse racing has been a huge focus for us. Once again, following that money, um, the the horse racing industry in New York State gets so much. They they get money, they get, um, you know, they get tax breaks, even though, first of all, take the animal rights part out of it. This is a dying industry. I mean, this is an industry that is just hemorrhaging, um, you know, just spectators and money. And it, if, if the government in New York was not subsidizing them, there's a good chance it would just die out on its own. But instead, mm. The governor of New York has pledged a massive loan to this industry um, to renovate Belmont Park Ugh. and keep it afloat. And this this is a, a facility where, rightfully, if you go during the week, the stands are empty. There's no one there. Like this this is this is an industry that you know that they could just naturally let die out, and instead they're just throwing money at them. And meanwhile, you know. Ugh. Yeah. That money could be going to, uh, you know, to education. It could be going to, you know, do to help people who are homeless. It could mm-hmm. be going to so many other things. But no, let's throw it at this industry where, I mean, people who own racehorses 
are are not poor. <laughs> um, they they do not need our tax dollars. So I mean that's an example of something that we are working hard on right yeah. now. PETA's got its toes in everything. I mean, and also in the Ukraine, you guys are out there rescuing animals. There's literally people on the ground digging up bodies from the rubble that was that that's left after buildings are collapsed. There's animals that were yeah. left behind. Talk a little bit about that. So we have had people um, from PETA's international fi- affiliates on the ground in uh, in Ukraine since since this war started, and they have been doing everything from um, you know helping people who are who are fleeing with their animals because you know there was a lot of red tape at the beginning that was making it hard for people in some cases to bring their animals across the borders. So they were facilitating keeping people together or helping them reunite with their animals later. Um, yeah, saving animals mm-hmm. who are in buildings that have been you know bombed, saving animals who are. Who were drowning after you know the the flooding a couple of weeks ago after um, you know I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen that footage of yeah. of animals stranded on on rooftops animals swimming for their lives mm-hmm. um, we've um, we've had people I I think we've delivered over a million pounds of dog or, or, or of of dog and cat food at this point to um, to shelters, I mean, these incredibly brave people who are staying there and running shelters for for mm. animals in need there. Just and I mean, it's not just Ukraine. I mean, in in Turkey, um, yeah. after the earthquakes, you know, we've had people on the ground there going into these buildings sometimes minutes before they're going to be demolished and just rescuing animals from you know who in some cases have been hiding for days or weeks, just terrified. And trying to reunite them with, um, mm. you know, with their families. And, you know, it, it's again, it's one of those things where obviously this is helping animals. But I mean, for the people, what this means for people, sometimes that animal might be the last surviving member of their family. So it literally means more than the world to them. So, I mean, it's really, it's, I always just come back to like when, when you help animals, you're, you're helping their people too. And the animals need us as well. It's like one of those things that if we don't help the animals, who will? Right. Exactly. And I mean, um, and the thing is, I mean, they, you know, if, if that was, if that was me on, on a, a rooftop in a flood, mm-hmm. if that was me, um, you know, in, in a building that was collapsing around me, yeah. I, I would want someone to do whatever they had to do to, to come rescue me. And it's no different for them. Right. And it's time that we recognize that animals have dignity and that they should be seen in a personhood way. And at least if you don't see them the same as human beings, at least recognize that they're sentient and that yeah. they deserve to live just like we do. Exactly. And that goes back to me so much to like that whole question and the discussion of, you know, whether you're talking about tactics or whether you're talking about, you know, um, people doing open rescues and stealing mm-hmm. animals, stealing animals from, right. you know, um, from farms or whatever who are, who are sick and dying. I mean, if that was you, you wouldn't be like, well, don't break the law or anything. You you would, you know, you wouldn't be like, well, don't don't be too extreme. Don't make people uncomfortable. Don't have a protest that's going to make anybody like feel weird. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you would want you would want people to be doing everything they could to get you out of that hell. You know, you would you would just want to know that someone was fighting for you. That's all that would matter. 
and not even if it was for you, but if it was for your dog yeah. or your cat, exactly. people would be like, yeah, do it. Let's go. A hundred percent. So it really, it really goes to show this mindset that we have that we need to start shifting and changing. And PETA is doing just that. So as we begin to wrap things up, I just wanted to get into and ask you a little bit about how you remain optimistic and hopeful, being that every single day you are fighting this fight. You've been vegan for oh, 20 years, 20, oh, yeah. like probably 27, 27 years, years, something like that. A long time. So over yeah. the 27 years, you've seen massive change. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a given, but Incredible. it's still not happening fast enough. There's still animals that are dying and there's still a lot of change that needs to be made. So how do you find that balance between your personal life and activism and your, your job? Yeah. I mean, it will never be fast enough, you know, Mm -hmm. never. But the thing is, it's very easy for me to stay optimistic. I feel lucky that I have been in this as long as I have because I've seen such drastic, massive change. And I see that we keep going in that direction. It's unstoppable. Nothing, nothing is good. I mean, we might have little setbacks here and there. It's a battle. It's, you know, but nothing will stop where things are headed. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we have the truth on our side. We have reality on our side. We have ethics on our side. And we also have technology on our side. We also think the technology keeps getting better for everything from, you know, food to clothing to, um, you know, to science. The alternatives to using animals are, are are just are better across the board and they keep improving. And so, I mean, so I guess for me, I stay very optimistic because I see how much the world has changed in a relatively short period of mm-hmm. time. And it it's never going to feel short when you're in it. But the fact is, we're a relatively young movement. Like if you look at, you know, these other movements for, you know, for civil rights of, you know, of, of LGBTQ yeah, of women. And so- I mean, these these have been going on a long time. We're a very young movement. Mm-hmm. And the amount of progress that we've made in a pretty short period of time, just in terms of changes in the way people think about animals even, yeah. I mean, that has been that has been drastic if you look at it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and again, you know, going back to when I first got involved in all of this, people didn't know what a vegan was. People, animal rights was not part of the conversation. Now it is. Mm -hmm. Veganism is part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Animal rights is part of the conversation. It's a given that if you go into a coffee shop, they're going to have, you know, oat milk. Right. It is, it's weird to go someplace and and to not find anything vegan on a menu. Mm -hmm. Fast food places are putting vegan options on their menu. Burger King has all vegan pop-ups. I mean, it, it, it's, it's it, you know, I mean, like, it's crazy for me to, to, like, go back to where I was when all this first happened and look at the things that are happening now. And that's a relatively short period of time. Yeah. It's just going to keep going. Yep. And we're not stopping. No. We are here for the long run. We are going to win this fight. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where injustice can't last forever. No. And whether it's things, whether things change because we we see how it's destroying the planet and our planet can't sustain it anymore, whether things change because of our own human health. 
things are changing and they're going to change for the better. Absolutely. It, or we just run the planet into the ground and all die. Sure. Yeah. That, that's the alternative. <laughs> that's that's the fun alternative. <laughs> but well, I also have to say, though, I feel so lucky to work at PETA. And a lot of the time, um, I try to remind myself that not everyone is getting the daily reminders that I'm getting. That helps me stay optimistic. Like being at PETA, I'm constantly hearing about good news for animals, whether it is just, you know, all the people writing to us on a daily basis saying like, oh, well, I saw this video and now I'm going vegan and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. want to be an activist or um, whether it's getting news articles about, you know, just like the different things that are happening, sometimes that are making the headlines, but so many things are happening behind the scenes for yeah. animals. Um, and, you know, I mean, Pete is obviously involved in a lot of that too. In addition to everything we've mm-hmm. discussed, we have a corporate, um, responsibility team that, that talks to companies about how they can, you know, eliminate animals from their products and, you know, from the things they do. And I mean, so, I just I'm constantly getting the good news about mm-hmm. um and and the bad news. I see a lot of terrible things on a daily basis and that's obviously I'm not saying that that's easy. It's not. But but I see enough progress and momentum that um I I definitely feel optimistic. And it's because of people like you. And that is And you. <laughs> and that's what, and that's why changing and that's why we're doing this podcast, yeah, you know. Totally. So, you know, it's one of those things guys, please go use PETA as a resource. I find that it's a home for activists. When I was in college and I felt kind of alone in the world and I felt like I was an outcast and you know, people didn't understand why I wasn't eating animals and I felt the need to explain myself. PETA was a home for me because they gave gave me resources and materials to get involved in activism. And also it gave me a community to meet like-minded people to fight for the cause. And totally. that is, I think, so important. It's like, that's kind of what's kept me sane throughout all of this. Um, so yeah. please guys go follow Ashley at Ash Loves Mongo on Instagram. <laughs> and then also go follow PETA. Uh, it's pretty easy to find on all social handles. You can go to PETA.org and get some of those resources. They'll send you free stickers, free pamphlets to give out. And then I'm, of course, at It's Jamie's Corner. And I'm so grateful to have had you on. We, we made it happen. I know. I'm so happy <laughs> that we finally did this. I'm so happy that we <laughs> – I love the myth busting. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. so much more to cover. And I, being that we only had an hour, you know, I really – there's so many other topics that we could get into. And I know. About. Yeah. But, but I think for a start, this was really helpful and really great. And now people can use this podcast and send it out to some of the challengers that they come across. Right, exactly. And also, I do want to say that I think I'm, – I'm glad you brought up PETA as a resource because I think people do get nervous sometimes. They feel like if they're going to advocate for animals, they have to have all the answers. You know what? You don't. You, you we, We're a resource for the answers – that you don't have. Like you can always, you can literally, you can email PETA, you can call PETA, you can go to our website and Google and find everything. Like um, you don't have to have all the answers. You know, you you have resources out there, like you said, for support, for materials, for um, just for all of it. And um yeah, so I'm just, I'm glad you brought that up. And I also just want to mention, we do have a 24-hour cruelty hotline, too, just going way back to what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Anytime someone is, you know, if you are 
If you find an animal emergency, if you're having an animal emergency, if the authorities won't help, they're being unresponsive, people can contact PETA 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What's the number? Um, it's 757-622-PETA. There you have it, yeah. folks. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that thank you for all that you do. Thank and you. Of course, of course. And thank you to PETA. We love you. And I hope after listening to this episode, you guys feel the same way. So until next time, guys. Yeah. Bye. I feel like we could literally even do another. Like, there are so many I, myths. No. There are so, we could do like a like like a series of like myth busting episodes. What other ones like do you think that would have well, been? Well, I realized that I forgot to talk about the pet ownership thing. Like I, ta- I did, I talked a little bit about, you know, about like PETA doesn't think you should have pets. Um, what would you have said about that? Basically just that like, no, we don't think there should be like an industry devoted to selling and breeding and selling oh, living beings, okay. but like yeah. go to a shelter and adopt an animal. Yeah, exactly. Like people literally all the time are like, yeah. PETA doesn't think you should have an right, animal. Right, and I'm right, like, right, right. I have animals. <laughs> like, right. I mean, there are all the things about like different like about tactics about like did you really do this did you really you know did you guys really throw blood on fur coats do you you know just I don't know I'll I should put together like a a list of like all the all the crazy ass questions I get asked about things that we've supposedly done or supposedly think I want to say so much more (laughs) I think we covered we covered all the things like the I think we covered the first things that people think of. You okay, know what I mean? I it's so. like we covered all the like, I think there yeah. are super interesting things we could talk about, but like, I think we covered the things that you're right, where and people's knee jerk reactions. Yeah. Where people yeah, are yeah. like, what about this? What about yeah. this? What and about this? And then we also said some of the recent wins and, and things that you, PETA's doing that's good for the animals. Let me just tell them. Yeah, I get, I know, I get so overwhelmed when I start talking about all this stuff on a macro level just because there's so much.